If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 14 to 16 today in just a little bit. Thursday morning, somebody stopped by the office uh, to, talk, uh, to talk to me. Uh, theology was one of the subjects, and um, we were discussing some very hard things. One of the, what we ended up talking about most is the Trinity and the subordination of the Son to the Father and His submission, and what does that mean with the two natures of Jesus Christ? If you're totally lost, that's fine. But um, one of the things that we were talking about was Jesus is completely human and completely divine when he was on earth. And what does that mean? Uh, did he have a human, he has a human nature and a divine nature. And, and does that mean he has a human will and a divine will as well? And we were going through scripture kind of point, counterpoint type thing. But the, the bottom line is uh, in that discussion, there's no way to come to a resolution because this matters beyond our understanding as, as human beings. And it can be very frustrating to those who are looking for the right answer. How many of you all like to have the right answer? All right. Our passage in James that we're getting ready to read today is the same way. There, there is no way to come to a completely satisfactory interpretation of what we're about to read. Uh, when we come to these difficult passages, I found that there's two kinds of people. The first kind of person says this, I want the right answer, just give me the right answer. I want to know 100%. And this, this passage, passages like this, frustrate that kind of person because they're the ones that they, they want the rules and they want to do right, they want the right answer. But then there's another kind of person I encounter, and that's, that's the person who says, Man, this passage is way beyond my understanding. We got this group saying this over here, this group saying this over here. I'm not as smart as some of those people, so I'm not even going to try to come to an answer. I won't have a raise of hands to ask which ones you guys are. But the fact of the matter is that when we come to these things, whether it's talking about the two natures of Christ or the relationship of the Trinity or what we're going to read today about prayer, God tells us that it benefits us when we read and search and think through scriptures and, and work our way through this. And what I've found is that, that when we do this, for example, the discussion that, that uh, I had with uh, this man this week and, and looking through this passage, when I struggle through it, and I'm not 100% positive that my interpretation's correct, but when I struggle through it, I learn more about God in his glory. I learn more about scripture that maybe I hadn't thought of before. And I relate scripture with scripture better. And I become probably more Christ-like in going through the struggle and trying to figure it out. And so with that as kind of a, a introduction to our passage, let's read just three little verses, James 5, 14 to 16, together. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I think all of us know someone who has had a sick family member or maybe even been sick themselves, maybe a sick spouse, who have read these words prayed over the person, or even called the elders to pray, and watched their loved one never recover. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You've been there. The result, oftentimes, is disillusionment with God, doubting the promises of the Bible, or asking questions about themselves. Did I not have enough faith? Is my faith defective? Or, or what's the deal here? Because I just read James 5, 14 and 15, and, and they're supposed to be healed. And so that causes us to ask questions. Does this passage really mean that the prayer of faith will heal someone who is deathbed sick? Is it the prayer that really matters, or is it the oil that makes a difference? What relationship does sin have to sickness? And these are very difficult questions. And so I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, this message is different from a lot of my other messages because what I'm going to do today is, is teach. And this is a wonderful teaching opportunity for me to take you through how do you take a difficult passage like this and work through it and come to a decision on your own. So it's more teaching. I'm going to be a little bit more technical than I normally am, but I think we'll all benefit from it. Is that okay? I have to be because that's all I got for you this morning. So, okay. Now, what I want to do is go through three common interpretations of this passage. The first one is a Roman Catholic interpretation we called extreme unction. You've probably heard of that. It's a Rome built a doctrine that, that morphed into a sacrament, and the sacrament is called extreme unction. And it's based upon the phrase in verse number 16. Verse number 16 says, confess your sins to one another. Now, you know the whole Catholic thing, how they go and they, they, um, they confess and stuff. Well, if you remember, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest, and he used to mock the Catholic church and say, wow, that's a strange confessor. Uh, his name is one another, and uh, he would mock the church for that. But this doctrine, some of you will get that at lunchtime. The doctrine, according to the Catholic church, is a sacrament in which the sick, by anointing them with holy oil and the prayers of the priest, they receive special spiritual help that is conducive to their salvation. In other words, Uncle Leroy's sick, he's on his deathbed. We call the Catholic priest, actually, I guess if it's Catholic, well, I better not go there. I'll get called racist if I mention an Italian name or something. But uh, anyway, um, we call the priest uncle, to Uncle Leroy's house. He's laying there. The priest does a ceremony, puts oil on his head, prays over him. And he, when he dies, that's going to further his salvation, his hope. This unction is extreme because it's usually the last of the sacraments administered by the church, the unctions. And the alleged purpose is to prepare the soul for death. Now, obviously, 
Um, I'm not going to go over that today. We, I think that we can see the problem there uh, with the word salvation. But let's go on to the second, third most common uh, that are the common interpretations. And that one would be physical healing. The largest part of Orthodox Christianity believe that this passage speaks about physical healing. This, this view is adopted by almost all modern translations of the English Bible. I, I looked this last couple weeks, and it's very difficult to find a modern translation that does not interpret this. By the way, your translations are interpretations, and it interprets it that it's a physically sick person. This is a view adopted by most of them, and here's some of their arguments. So if you're going to think through this with me today, think about these arguments, and, and you decide the merits and, and what you're going to believe about this passage. Number one, the word sick in verse number 14. Remember, he's, he asked this question, is anyone among you sick? It's used, that word sick is used 34 times in the New Testament, about 50% of the time. It refers to physical sickness. The other 50% of the time, it refers to weakness, most of the time, spiritual weakness. And they argue that when the word sickness is used and it doesn't refer to physical sickness, that there's a qualifier. And this is what I mean. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, talks about somebody being Weak in conscience, and that word weak is that word translated sick in this passage. Weak in conscience. Or Romans 14, verse number 2, talks about somebody being weak in faith. And so they say, well, first of all, this is not talking about um, spiritual weakness because there's no qualifier in this verse. Secondly, the verb save in verse number 15, where it says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. They say that word save, which is sozo, um, is sometimes used in the Gospels. And that's the important key. The Gospels to talk about the restoration of someone who is ill. An example of this would be in Mark 6 and verse number 56, where people touched the fringe of Jesus' garment and were made well. That's that word save, sozo, made well in Mark 6 56. A third argument for this point of view is the word anoint. The word anoint, where the elders come anoint, is the word that means rub oil. Now there's, there's another word for anoint, and it has to do with a ceremony where a priest would anoint a king, and they just put a dot of oil. To rub the oil, you have to think that olive oil was almost a universal medical, had medical benefits, and it's a hot and dry climate over there. And, and you know what I'm talking about, hot and dry. And so the olive oil, if there's any kind of skin condition or anything else like that, it would relieve that skin condition. And so they argue then that this, this is the word. The other way that they use it in, in the Gospels is Mark 6.13, where it says the disciples anointed many with oil who were sick and they healed them. And they say that this one occurrence of the word anointing the sick with oil proves that this is a physical illness in James. 
There's a couple other minor arguments, and they're a lot more technical, and I'm not going to go into them right now. But so this is their argument. Now, these are pretty good arguments, aren't they? By the way, I'm not tipping my hat. I'm just telling you these are pretty good arguments. But there's another group in Christianity who believes that the healing is actually the healing of somebody who is spiritually weary and exhausted. This view says that the context very clearly points to someone who is weary in suffering. James mentions suffering in verse number 13, the verse right before. He calls on those who are suffering persecution in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5. That's about suffering persecution. We've been over that several times. Um, He calls them to pray. And since prayer taps into the source of spiritual endurance, it's not surprising that, um, that James calls in to pray. It would have been surprising in a letter to struggling persecuted believers if James had neglected to mention prayer. A strong commitment of prayer is a prerequisite for enduring suffering. And so their argument, number one, is context. Context, and the context of this passage clearly is on suffering. The subject is not spiritual illness, or physical illness rather, or healing. Instead, it's a concern with spiritual weakness and spiritual weariness and spiritual exhaustion and spiritual depression, and the healing is is through prayer um, and and the suffering that goes along with that. Many of the the believers that James is writing to probably suffered physically at the hands of government or at the hands of people who were oppressing them. So the argument, the context argument says this, to insert a discussion here on physical healing would be strange because nothing preceding and nothing following this context would prepare James' reader for that. But a section on how to help in the casualties of persecution through prayer fits perfectly with the flow of James' thought. Specifically, James discusses the relationship of prayer to comfort, restoration, fellowship, and power. So that's the first argument. Secondly, as I said before, remember that word sick in verse number 14, is anyone among you sick? Well, they argue this. Yes, it's used 34 times in the New Testament. Yes, 50% of the time, roughly, it's talking about physically ill people, but almost all of those 50% of the time are in the Gospels. Now, why is that important? They're important because in the Gospels, when the word is used, it's talking about the physical healings performed by Jesus And the Gospels are a different set of literature. They are narrative. They are recounting the works of Jesus Christ when he was on earth. Then they go on to say the other 50% of the time in the epistles, which follow the Gospels. You guys know what the epistles are. Epistles is a word for letter. The letters of the Apostle Paul and the different apostles to the churches in the letters Most of the time when this word is used, it's talking about spiritual weariness or weariness of some form. And so there's a divide there. 
And, and the epistles, they're not a narrative. They're designed to instruct about spiritual issues. So they take the same argument and they, they come at it from a different standpoint. Number three, outside of the gospel, remember that word save in verse number 15? The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. In that word save never means to restore somebody's health in the epistles. It's almost universally used to talk about salvation and spiritual issues. And so they would argue that that word save proves that this is spiritual. Fourth, the word sick in verse number 15, I mentioned this last week, is, is only used twice in the New Testament. The other time it's used is in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow what? Weary or faint-hearted. So they say in verse number 15, the, the prayer of faith who will, that will save the one who is sick. If you look at the only other usage, it's gotta be talking about some sort of weariness. Fifth, James uh, promise that the prayer of faith will save someone who's sick, and that's a promise. We know from the rest of the New Testament that God's will is not always that somebody be healed, is it? Remember Paul in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12? He pleaded with the Lord three times that God would remove the thorn in his flesh, and God refused, and he told Paul my grace is sufficient for you. My strength or my power is made perfect in your what? Weakness. Same word as in verse number 14 of James chapter 5. And then the final argument that I'll go over with this is this. The very fact that James says if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven is further evidence that this passage doesn't refer to physical healing, but rather it's a spiritual issue or weariness or something like that. Now, I just blew through these in probably 10 minutes. And they both sound really good, don't they? How many would, how many, be honest, okay, interaction here. How many would say both of these arguments to be, they sound pretty even to me? Okay, the rest of you are just afraid to vote. Or you're not like me, I guess, okay? <laughs> Maybe I'm wishy-washy. Maybe you need a different, different guy up here teaching you. But when you look at these two arguments, they're, they're, the merits of both of these arguments are really good. They are. And, and um, there are some hybrid interpretations I'm not going to go into. But where am I in all this? Okay, so let's just, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. When I first got into the ministry, my viewpoint was this is talking about physical healing. And then um, somewhere around uh, 20 years ago, I changed my mind and decided that it was spiritual healing. In the last three weeks, I moved back to it being physical healing. I'm going to explain why. I moved back to physical healing for two reasons. Number one, um, James was the first epistle written. Did you know that? 
I, I went over this months ago, or yeah, months ago, but James was the first man to write an epistle. It was written about 45 AD. Now think with me, the Gospels talk about Jesus healing people, and the word sick there is, is healing, physical illness. And so I figured him being Jesus' brother in proximity to the gospel era, it's got to be physical healing. The second argument that, um, the second reason I said that, and I haven't mentioned this at all in our series on James, but there is a huge resemblance, the teaching of James to the Sermon on the Mount. So James being the half-brother of Jesus was, was affected by his teaching. Now that was last week. But as I dived into it more, I, I finally came down to, I believe this is talking about the, the healing of the spiritually weary, and there's two reasons, okay? The first one is context. Context is king. If you've ever studied Bible, uh, this Bible, context is king, and the context is talking about suffering, suffering in the hands of somebody else, and it just seems like it's too abrupt and a lot of people say, don't have a problem with that because they've always been taught that James is the Proverbs in the New Testament. You, you all have heard that, right? That, that. I, don't, I don't ascribe to that. There, there's a very systematic presentation of, of what, who is somebody who's a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at. It's not a Proverbs. It's, it's uh, teaching the evidence of salvation to people of suffering. Um, and, and, and then uh, the second, I'm not even going to go over that. I'm going to keep moving on to my second reason because it's a little bit more obscure. But the teaching of faith healers, and we're all familiar with faith healers, that, that this passage is, is talking about healing the physically sick. Their, their teaching is very cruel because they teach that if you have enough faith, your loved one will be healed or you'll be healed. And if they aren't healed, one or two things are going on. Either you don't have enough faith or your faith is defective. And so the blame is put back on you. It's almost a form of legalism. And, and um, to me, that is just so cruel. With that said, God does sometimes answer our prayer for someone's healing. Matter of fact, uh, to, in, in transparency, last week, two weeks ago, the elders went over to somebody's house, anointed them with oil, and we, we prayed for them, uh, somebody who's sick. So we do that. But I want to end this time by saying, okay, now, you, now I know what you're thinking. Pastor says that this is spiritual healing, so he doesn't believe that we should pray for physical healing. And that is absolutely incorrect. And so what I would like to do for the rest of the time is just real quickly, how, how do we pray when either A, we're sick or someone we love is sick? How, how do we pray? How do we pray? Because I, I think that this can be a help to all of us. As we go through this, number one, first, we ask God to change our circumstances. What do I mean by that? That's the prayer for healing. Heal the sick. Give us our daily bread. Protect me from suffering and evildoers. Make our political leaders just. Convert my friends and family. Make our work or our ministries prosper. Provide me with a spouse, right? All you college 
high school kids. Provide me with a spouse. Quiet this dangerous storm. Send us rain. Lord, please give us a child. These are, these are very legitimate prayers, and God is honored when we pray for a change in our circumstances. And we see this in the Bible, that people pray that way. But there's a second kind of prayer, and this prayer is where the vast majority of biblical prayers focus. And that is this, we pray for God to change us. What do I mean by that? I mean, we pray, Lord, deepen my faith. Uh, teach us to love one another. Forgive us our sins. Make us wise where I tend to be foolish. Make us know you better. Enable me to sanctify you in my heart. Help me not to dishonor you. Give us understanding of scripture. Teach me to encourage others. And this is all in the midst of, of sickness. If it's you who are sick or a spouse who is sick, or a loved one, or whatever else, you pray this, Lord, please change my circumstances, but while you're changing my circumstances, will you change me? And then the third thing that you see in the Bible, the third kind of prayer is, God, change everything by revealing yourself more fully to me. Um, Reveal yourself more fully on the stage of life, magnifying the degree to which your glory and rule are obvious. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be exalted, Lord, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let your glory fill, fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Come, Lord Jesus. These are things that we pray in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sickness too, don't we? And here's what's most important to remember about these three things. When any of these three get detached from the other two, our prayer goes sour. If you just pray for better circumstances, then God becomes the errand boy who exists to, to um, take care of your shopping list. Your, your shopping list of desires and pleasures. And, and there's no sanctifying purpose in, in asking God for these things. Uh, there's no higher glory. Prayer pursues a self-centered, gimme, gimme, gimme type attitude. If you only pray for personal change, then it tends to reveal an obsession with some sort of moral self-improvement, some self-absorbed spirituality, detached from engagement with other people and the tasks of life that need to be, need to be done, right? You can see that. Uh, we could give countless examples of these three strands of prayer operating wisely. You just simply have to go to the Psalms. About 90 Psalms are what, we, what I, we could call minor key Psalms. What I mean by that is that there, there are intercessions regarding sin and suffering. These things predominate, these songs. But, and here, please listen, they always are in light of God revealing his mercies and his power and his kingdom. The battle with personal sin and guilt. Uh, appears in about a third of these intercessions when it's talking about sickness and suffering. Often there are requests that God make us wiser, 
Lord, teach me, make me understand, revive me. And God reveals, God, reveal yourself for your name's sake by changing me. And in many Psalms, you see requests to change circumstances. Deliver me from evildoers. Be my refuge and fortress in suffering. Destroy your enemies. But these are always tied. Listen very carefully. These are always tied to requests that God arrive in his kingdom and uh, and glory and power. You see? So when when the psalmist prays, uh, deliver me from suffering, heal my sickness, he's always connecting it to the glory of God and the glory of his kingdom. And it, it gives you a full-orbed, full-view um, type of prayer rather than this laser-like, self-centered, uh, focused prayer. Consider the prayers of, of Philippians uh, 1, 9 through 11, where Paul talks about your love may abound more and more. Or Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 14, where he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will. There's no mention of circumstances there, and Paul is in prison. There's no request to be healed, fed, protected, or for other people to change. The, the, the request focus entirely on gaining wisdom in the light of, of God's coming glory, coming kingdom. Such wisdom expresses itself in two dimensions, vertical and horizontal. Vertical meaning love for God, horizontal meaning love for neighbor. And these two prayers plead with God on the behalf of other people that both kinds of love would deepen. May God make you know him better. May God make your love for people more intelligent and grow more and more. Consider the prayers of Ephesians 1, uh, 15 to 23 in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Here too, the, the intercessions focus on wisdom in light of Christ's glory. Again, there's no circumstantial requests. In fact, there aren't even requests to grow in intelligent love here. But rather, Paul zeroes in on what we most need. And what is that? That we know him better. Isn't that our greatest need? That, that I, I love these two prayers. I pray these for a congregation all the time. So when we are sick or when someone is sick, do we pray for healing? Yes. Yes, we do. We pray for healing. I'll get a bit personal here. When Heather was diagnosed with cancer, did we pray for healing? You better believe we did. We're still praying for healing because we're not out of the woods yet. Many of you know that already, but we're not. So we still pray for healing, but you know what? Every night when we go to bed and we pray for that, we're also praying for things like, Lord, Help us to become more like Christ. Help us to see your glory. Lord, help people to see Christ in our lives. And I've heard uh, many times, Heather thank the Lord for the trial that he's given her. Because it, she, she says it's changed her, it's changed us. It helps us to understand him better. And so then, even in the sickness that you're dealing with, you can thank the Lord that he's brought that trial your way. Not because you enjoy it, nobody enjoys it. But because if you're searching him, you become more like him. You know him better. You learn things about God in sickness and in trials that you never knew before. And that's the only way that you can learn about him. And so 
when we pray, pray to God in spiritual weariness, pray to God in sickness and in health. What does the uh, Westminster Confession say? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is what? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that, that is why God allows these things to, to come our way. And so let's just pray, whether you're suffering from external circumstances or whether you're, you're suffering with sickness, we pray and God listens and God loves it when we pray to him. And you can have confidence that God is answering somehow, some way. So let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for scripture. We, we want to thank you, Lord, for uh, the, James chapter 5 and these very difficult passages. Um, the, this is difficult. And I know in this room there, there's large disagreement about what it means. But in one sense, it doesn't matter because by, by looking at this and thinking through this, we understand and appreciate you more and we understand scripture more. But Lord, I, I ask that most of all, more than anything else, we will pray. That we will pray for one another. That we will pray for ourselves. That we will pray for your glory to come. Make us a church that prays. Make us a praying congregation, Lord. We long for your glory. We long for a relationship with you and knowing you better. Please, Lord, give that to us in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing one more song.